a teaching on not-self, anatta, also uh, connects to the teaching on dependent arising, or codependent arising, through not seeing dependent arising, through not, that, that what manifests at any particular time is a number of conditions coming together, supporting each other, balancing each other. When, we, when that's not seen, what is inferred is there must be some one thing, one quality, mind, or something, you know. So any particular moment, what arises for us is a number of things, but it's always headed under what, as one, you know, happening to me while I'm doing this. So the one thing is either a sense of something happening to me, myself, or I'm going to do something, or I can't do something, or I want to do something. The I am. So it always comes down to this one thing, which is self. Any one thing that is internal, Yeah, that's what we that's what we call self. What a sense of a singularity that's internal, a single subject that's internal. That's what it means, isn't it? Myself. That's what we use it for. Actually, more more usefully, we can talk about it. Well, it's mind or chitta. Mm. But then you can recognise that that uh, the, the 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 movements and the flavorings of that and the energies of that come and go and shift and change. The jitta mind is an ongoing stream of circumstances, but you can't call it a permanent thing. It's more like a focal point where these energies of contact and impression arise, you know, that which lands there and the, the response, that which streams from it, the sankharas, the volitions. It's a meeting place of that which comes in and that which goes out. That's called mind, chitta. It's really just a moving meeting place, you know, not a self. But uh, because this is very fundamental, this is definitely the core of our experience. It, you know, it's you call it yourself, and it, it's as a, as a relative sense, it's not, you know, it's got an individual quality to it. It's uh, got its own particular narrowness or tightness or openness or effectiveness. This is this is the karma vipaka. But it's not you know, but you can try to find one thing that it is and you'll find a particular factor, that's all. You could find the factor of wisdom, of knowingness. You know, discernment. You could find the factor of um, perception. In sanya or vijnana, that which makes something present for you, or feeling. You could experience subtle form, such as sense of pressure, or sense of spaciousness. The mind has a form. And you experience these particular energies, impulses, sankhara. So really, jitta... You know, it's really a number of things, number of factors, sense of something being present, consciousness, arising. Now it's visual, now it's tactile, now it's 
thought consciousness that's kind of rising up. So it's just like this continual kaleidoscope, changing patterns. And uh, dependently arising, that is dependent on particular, you know, ways or or inclinations. These are sankharas, the inclinations of our mind. Any particular time, what it wants, what it's inclined towards then things strike us in certain ways. We like it to be chatty and conversational and quiet seems a bit cold. We like it to be cool and, and silent. Conversation seems noisy. It's obvious, isn't it? You know, so it's the dispositions very much name or designate what you're experiencing. Contact, sankharas. So we're trying to find a stable place in all this. We're trying to find a stable place with there's that tendency to either to cling to a, you know, some particular quality of sensory input, warm, spacious, quiet, whatever, or a particular view, attitude, system. This is the right way. That and the other view of oneself, view of other people. So these all cause us a degree of suffering. So instead of that, we get other things to cling to, or lean upon. And the Buddha you know, presented with these, the five things that we can use as one example. And these also are, are not one thing, but a number of things. We have sadha, or faith, courage, willingness to open up, to, to bring ourselves into experience in an open way, feeling there's something to be learned here, something, you know, really opening oneself and putting oneself into something. Sadha. Virya, persistence. Just keep going at it. Huge factor. Sati, mindfulness. Keep referring to it. Keep checking out, check out, you know, whether suffering or the stressing or the happiness or the contentment or the comfort or steadiness is, what particular factors, you know, like when you're meditating, what's the particular places and ways to establish your, your meditation object? So it's an ongoing skill, isn't it? Samadhi, the sense of firmness, this is really... Um, very paramount feature in meditation, so much so that often meditation is called samadhi, you know, sila samadhi panya, ethics, morality, and wisdom, ethics, meditation, and wisdom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't say we don't need any samadhi, because samadhi means, you know, it's one of the threefold trainings, and uh, it is this sense of cultivating firmness, Firmness that's comfortable, not not brittle or tense, but firmness is comfortable. And this is what m- correct mindfulness will give rise to that. It's not like, should I be mindful or should I develop samadhi? This is, you know, 
mindfulness does develop, if it's correct, it will, you can't help it. It will, it will, it will go to samadhi unless you deliberately stop it some way. Because mindfulness is a sense of keep referring to something and it becomes good. That sense of, the sense of that continuity of constant reference becomes firm, firms up. You know, the Buddha said, you know, without samadhi there's no path. Sayings, the Buddha. So it's a. Uh, but then, you know, there are different levels of it. So the first thing we just established is a sense of inner firmness, which comes through mindfulness and wisdom, checking out how it, what works. Wisdom in meditation is often allied to the factor of sampajanya, or fully sensitizing to, reviewing, getting a feeling for how it is, feedback. Uh, so, so these five five factors, and of course there are plenty of other lists you can go through. But just to just to focus on what we're meditating on on mindfulness and samadhi, mm-hmm. because it's uh, you know one of the fundamental things that we look for or find ourselves drawn towards in life in general is knowing where we are, feeling firm ground, feeling, oh, this is it. Okay, I'm settled. I can settle down. Without that, there's always that uncertainty, wobbling, you know, this is not feeling comfortable. So it's a very fundamental thing. Where we like to know where we are, where we are with other people, where we are in our community, you know, the one that we have routine, so we're on the right track. We have a sense of uh, vineyard, so we're all doing the same sorts of things. We have core what, so we tend to have particular standards for a monastery, of how we move around, conduct ourselves, keep silent, whatever. So we, you know, that's firming. And it's uh, really, you see, overall cultivation of samadhi in all this, is to know your role, your duty, your function, as where you are. It's not, it's not who you are. Of course, this is where it becomes there. The blind clinging, rather than skillful support, is when you know any of us take our position, role, whatever, as some identity. We don't think that we start acting like it without realizing it. I'm in charge. You know, that's who I am. I'm the one who's in charge. And then with that comes a sense of endless busyness, responsibility, <coughs> never quite getting it right, feeling of stress and strain. Hmm. You know, and certainly it's easy to want somebody to be in charge. It's nice to have a sense of security, stability. But there isn't anybody in charge. There are certain factors that can come together that will create a sense of stability to a, to a relative degree. Hmm. And the more experience you get of it, the more possibilities you have of being able to bring those factors together of patience and equanimity and kindness and steadiness and constantly referring again and again and again to the basic principles of morality, meditation, discernment. These are the 
overriding factors in the Buddha in the Buddha's last days, Parinibbana Sutta. You know, what did he do in his last days? Went around all these different places. It's like it's his final tour. He knows he's going to die soon. So he went round to. You see, in the in the Sutta, he goes round to all these different places, Vihara's monastery, saying. He says the same thing. This is Sila. This is Samadhi. This is Panya. This is Sila. This is Samadhi. This is Panya. Like this, you know, this, I've got to really get this down. As you know, this is how you do it. It's this. You can you can bunch it under these three things. It's like he's trying to really put his teachings into a handy pocket-sized, you know, category, threefold of Samadhi. You know. When you firm up, now when we firm up, one of the qualities of it is you lose options. You can't have one thing and five things. You can't be in one place and in three places. You can't be doing this and doing that. So the multitasking stuff doesn't, you know, not very good for samadhi. So mindfulness is that which starts to, you know, establish the ground for it because it's that which resists agitation resists you know the distractedness see what's really important establish yourself upon that that means you start to lose options deliberately put aside options this is very much what renunciant life is about and some of the struggle of it because not not the options are not bad immoral, wrong, but just how many, you know, before the samadhi goes, before the possibility of samadhi goes. So a lot of, you know, samadhi is based on this this heartfelt faith in renunciation. It's not a order, you know. It can be encouraged, you know, and certainly one encourages it, but you can't, it has to come from faith, from the I want to, enter into this fully I want to you know willingly put aside it's a struggle so persistence to keep at it and this is a big aspect of what samadhi is about it's not just kind of holding on to something it's a matter of just putting aside things I like to do read talk about look on the internet you know, it is just, you look at the internet, goodbye, samadhi, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all true and good and interesting and so forth and could be useful, but just really, you know, gee. So you've got to say, well, actually, what is useful? You know, this is sort of just stupefying yourself into some dumb submission to authority. Is that what it's about? Do you have faith in that? Nope. So, you know, all of us kind of, there's not some police force here, but really the encouragement to you know for yourself. There's a certain point at which things are useful and a certain point at which you've cut out because you know, I just can't hold all this. What do I really need to do? What have I given my life to? It's not really to, to knowledge in the academic sense. It's not really to know how. It's to liberation and for this we have to keep remembering and checking out as we get it wrong as we get it right 
you know, what now can I actually sustain without getting getting agitated, distracted? This is the role of, of mindfulness and full awareness. Just keep checking it out. It's a way of life, isn't it, really? And renunciation is the is big part of it. Why, you know, this is a renunciate life. And why the Buddha felt this was the most uh, fertile field to cultivate. Renunciant communities. Because there's a greater possibility for samadhi. When we talk about going on retreat, you know, whatever your lifestyle is, it generally means you, you just stop a lot of things, put down a lot of things. So for that benefit. Then firming up. So that but then you recognise that samadhi does mean that that faith, that sense of yes, I want to do this and persistent energy, and it's not just the energy to hold on, it's the energy to to put aside, to keep letting go. Things that seem interesting, tempting, important and so forth. And kind of, uh, we have this situation here, so try to use the monastery for the winter retreat, uh, somewhere we're actually all committed to, you know, sealing it off more. Can't always seal it off completely. But then, you know, it's, it's not that it's all so cushy. You have to actually work on it. Put some effort into it, sealing off in a in a skillful way. So samadhi arises dependent upon other factors. Mindfulness arises dependent upon other factors. It's not some unconditioned, you know, quality. You have to keep referring to what do you refer to your body, to you know your duties, to you know internally, externally, to your commitments, to to the mind, or to this incredible spinning wheel, which seems so hard to be mindful of because its nature is so mobile, so spinning out so naturally fluctuating mindfulness is why one most importantly mindful of the mind because this is where of course all the outgoing energies the the reactions the effects are this because that's exactly what it's about that's what mind is it's not some entity it's a it's a it's a channel for all this ingoing, outgoing. So I have to be mindful of mind. Mind, which is nature, is mercurial, effervescent, changing from one moment to the next. Mindfulness use a mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of body, bringing the mind onto it, trimming it, pruning it, calming it, soothing it. The standing, self-mindfulness of mind is the paramount practice. This is the mind affected by fear, agitation, by joy, by conviction, by feeling unconstricted, feeling constricted, 
just this. It's a factor. It's not an entity. So we mind is much more the, the effective sense than the thinking. So we notice you keep translating your thought patterns into what's this coming from? I look into a lot, you know, and actually trace mine right the way down. I find a lot of it is just wanting to know what, wanting security. I wish I could know how to, you know, where I am, what works, what's what's lasting, what's stable. I could just settle into that and just, ah, you know. And yet, of course, things are shifting all the time. So you worry, try and make it work. Try and avoid it. Duck, distract. <laughs> the firmness comes from knowing this is just the mind. No, it's not. That's a verbal statement, but actually placing presence, placing, referring to the mind purely as the mind and not myself. doesn't mean not responding to it but just referring to it as the mind that we can see this mind you know is dependently arising these states are dependently arisen upon skillful unskillful factors and then what are we going to do about that and to know what to do about it takes a little bit of of time panya wisdom because most of all our immediate impulse is when the mind is react to it you know, we feel this, we feel that, and we react. So you just want to actually establish mindfulness there. This is the mind. And firming it up. Quite a lot of mental stuff will just start to fade out through that. Quiet down. Because by the firmness, you're creating a sense of stability, comfort, okayness. So a lot of that kind of agitated where am I, what am I, who am I, what can I be, you know, what should I do, starts to just quieten down because you're already providing it with a root source or a root solution to that. Just get grounded, established. So you look into, you know, your mental, emotional experience, see... What is there to rely upon or depend upon? What is the most stable thing? Is it happiness? No, actually not. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm not. Is it uh, an attitude? No, not really, because I just, attitude, I've got to keep, you know, rethinking it, recreating it. But knowing, being mindful of mind as mind, that's stable. Steady.
and what it takes to sustain that, keep supporting it. As I've said many times, for me it's mostly an energetic factor, quality of uh, balanced energy comes through the breathing, comes through the body. You find something you can have faith in and trust. And through this there's a sense of uh, no longer being so interested in the patterns. You know, one leans upon, one leans upon happiness, one leads upon unhappiness. Strange enough, you can get depressed and think, all oh, right, this is it. Lean upon that, not examine that. Get anxious, oh well, anxious, I know that one. Take, take, lean upon anxiety, just kind of rest in that, stand upon that. Take that as a basis. So we're trying to fix the anxiety or assume depression is a true state of mind. Hmm. Or happiness is. These are convincing. And then the various sort of noises that can come up in the mind, the ideas, the building projects, the planning comes up when we're happy. The blaming when we're depressed or the self-pity that comes up when one's feeling depressed or then start to write the stories of why it's like this you get tired of it actually just it doesn't go anywhere useful establish that uh, faith in mindfulness because that's you realise that in order to break or to break this habit of leaning, clinging, you have to do it slowly, sort of like a toddler. First of all, it needs some kind of harness and crutches and things like that to walk upon. So you give it these five indriya, mindfulness, concentration, just rest on that. So that as the mind doesn't know how to not lean upon something. So it tends to lean upon feelings, Ideas, thoughts, sensations. And the Buddha said, "You can do that. You can refine this leaning, leaning upon, taking a stand upon. Through, he said, the best forms of these forms of concentration. Jhana, formless jhana. He said these are the most refined and long-lasting and sublime." places to lean, things to lean upon. But, (laughs) there's always a but. (laughs) This is deathlessness, that is the mind freed from leaning on anything. But that's an end process, isn't it? It's not like you don't, I don't think you start out with that. 
you start out with refining it and recognizing the sense of pressures what's what's first of all leaning on clinging to feels like a kind of pressure sometimes it seems like it's pressing us sometimes we're holding on to it there's a sense of pressure pressure in the heart pressure in the mind and then you can calm and soften that still you find there are subtler forms of pressure but this relief from that pressure is great so you feel happy more comfortable, more convinced. Then there's a certain pressure that builds up to lean upon that. And so it goes, you know, it's really this constant sign, which is one, one way of looking at, at dukkha, a sense of stressing or pressing on or leaning upon, is already a, uh, has a certain dukkha to it. So through this... Um, Knowing that, practicing with that, when the mind is more calm and settled, there's an opening to non-leaning. Now, is isn't something that you really do, it's something that begins to become apparent, becomes apparent, but it is itself this deathlessness, although this is not conditioned, the opening to it is. The opening to it, that is the the mind's ability and willingness to open to that is conditioned, is dependently arisen. And one way we can look at that is faith, effort, continuous sustained application, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom. And just consider the, the faith quality again, because this can be something belief in something or someone. But we look at it very purely. These indriya, one of the beauties of them is they are all potentials we already have that have to be developed. Faith indriya is the sense there's something meaningful, something worth opening up to. Yeah, inspiring. It could be a sense of summertime, nature, you know, you open up. Something and you feel this sense of something you want to open up. Doesn't want to hold on, it wants to actually do exactly the opposite, but open up to something. So this is uh you know contemplate that. Look at those times when one's kind of almost holding oneself rather than opening. What does it take? What can you open to? And in this practice, we're not having faith in people, events, places. First, we're having faith in breathing in, breathing out. It's happening anyway. Open up to it. In letting go, in harmlessness, kindness, compassion, these are things that we can start to get that sense of yes, yes, oh yes, I want to be with that, yeah, I want more of that. Faith gives rise to chanda, inspirational motivation, then persistent effort and energy follows along. This is the way it goes. And uh, 
You know, you can't really force your mind because it's not a mind, it's not a thing. It's a set of impressions coming in and activities going out. So if you you force it, what you generate is the impression of force, pressure, more pressure. The opening of the mind is faith. And to keep following that through.